Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I'm joined by Brian Brinkman. Brian brings a passion for storytelling and a deep knowledge of music to the creative and production teams of Osiris Media. Following a decade in international higher education focused on student advising and program development, Brian started the Beyond the Pond podcast in 2017 quickly growing the show in status through narrative development, social engagement, quality editing, and a unique understanding of rock history. Focused on unearthing the subtle aspects of a narrative, Brian oversees production for Undermine, 36 from the Vault, The Drop, The Ravine, Late Era, and Helping Friendly Pod on tour. Brian holds a BA in European and Islamic history from the University of Montana, just as like a bonus. <laughs> Brian, you can say <laughs> hi. Brian, how are you? Thank you so much for having me on. This is a total honor. Thank you for being on. I'm really excited to uh, talk some fish from you. Uh, Brian and I met for the first time uh, back in October at uh, the forum show uh, in LA. Um, and we decided then like, yeah, let's do the podcast. So let's do this I'm, thing, man. I'm excited. You know, we had to take a couple of months off uh, since November, uh, but I'm back. It's January. It's 2022. Uh I am really, really excited about everything uh, that we move through stormy weather has in store for this year. Uh, by this point, uh, the episode, the special episode about the Goose Jam of the Year 2021 bracket will be out. Uh, that one is going to be awesome, um, and that's got lots of great content. And before we dive into this, if you guys aren't already, um, please uh, check out RyanStorm.substack.com. Um, I have been uh, Posting since early October, uh, show reviews, lots of jam breakdowns, um, and actually you can see my notes from every podcast episode on there. Uh, so there will be a link in the description of the podcast. Uh, sign up for the mailing list; you'll get everything delivered right to your inbox. It's super handy. Uh, and yeah, so we're gonna dive in now. Brian, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, before we get into the song? Why don't you talk a little bit about how you got into fish? So I like to think about how I got into fish um, kind of as this, this discovery that both I made and other people made for me that kind of intertwined in a crossroads of my life when I had learned a ton about classic rock. Um, I was kind of in a purgatory state in terms of the type of music that I was listening to at the time. I didn't really like a lot of the modern music that I was listening to. And at the same time, I've always been, and I really was at this point in my life when I was around 16, uh, a huge sports fan. 
And so all these kind of things kind of interspersed in the stew where I kept seeing uh, in my freshman year of high school fish shirts um, around the halls in different classes, you know, um, I wish people study were wearing fish shirts when I was in high school. <laughs> there was like a small select crew of people and I was like loosely friends with some of them, but not totally friends with others. And I, right. Um, See, when finally, I was in high school, I was that entire crew. It was just me. That was all you just, <laughs> you were just the me. guy. I was the only one. Yeah. Well, I asked a friend of mine, uh, shout out to Matt Bentley, uh, in freshman year math class, who is fish? What is, it took me a while to like figure out like that, the logo and, you know, the play on words, the yeah. pH thing. And he just like went off and it was, this was about six months after big Cypress, five months after big Cypress. And he was like, you need to buy rift. That's like the best way to listen to them. So I went out, I bought rift. They piqued my interest, but it wasn't something that totally connected with me for whatever reason though, over the next couple of years, I bought Hampton comes alive I bought a live one. Somehow I ended up with Farmhouse. And around this time, I got into the Dave Matthews band. And I was realizing that my musical interests were tending towards experimental music, but still based in rock music. I loved the idea that a band could play a concert and a song that sounded one way on an album could open up into something completely different. That was a totally new concept to me at the time. Mm -hmm. So anyway... All of this leads to the summer of 2001 when I spend, I think, 10 weeks as a camp counselor at the summer camp I grew up going to. And one of the early days that I was there was only counselors there. We were all getting training. So it was a lot of fun. It was like me and people within a 10-year age uh, gap of me. So I was like learning a lot of things. I love staff week. It was, it was <laughs> great. It was the best. Yeah. And I was wearing the Dave Matthews, like the classic Dancing Nancy shirt. And this guy, Aaron Klein, comes up to me and goes, you like Dave Matthews Band? Have you ever listened to Fish? And I said, yeah, I've listened to a little bit. And he handed me a tape of 11-17-94, set one, which opens with Helter Skelter. And it's the only other time they played it other than the Halloween show. And it's really important that I open up with Helter Skelter because one of my early musical moments was when I went to see Rattle and Hum with my dad. When I was like three years old and you too opened up with Helter Skelter. It was like a defining moment for me in terms of getting into music. And so I'm hearing fish play this song, which was something I never expected. And it kind of hooked me immediately. And that set goes on to be just like a classic fall 94 set. You got a divided sky. You got a Wilson. You have a really excellent Colonel Forbins in the vibrational life in the mockingbird. And then you close with this just like 10 minute ferocious down disease. That tape was the tape that got me and was a tape that put me in a position where I said, I have to hear more of this music and I have to hear it as much as possible. And over the course of the next six months, I was collecting tapes. I was buying all the live fish shows when they came out. I saw my first tray show. And over that six month period in time, what started as curiosity, started as like pure ignorance, what started as me looking for something ended mm -hmm. up as I'd found the best band I will ever find in my entire life. That is con a continual rabbit hole. I keep diving deeper and deeper into with no bottom has yet been reached. Right. It's endless. So was your first fish show like right after the return for 2.0? My first fish show was actually, uh, we're going to be talking about it today. It was, uh, oh. 2003 at the Allstate arena, which, I saw most of my early concerts at the Allstate Arena. I grew up about 20 minutes south of there. And so when Fish announced that they were playing there, I was like, this is just perfect. I've seen so many yeah. minor league hockey games here. I've seen so many concerts here. And um, yeah, that was that was my very first show. That's awesome. So let, let's talk about uh, your song pick, which is Seven Below. Um, really cool. I think I had only heard uh, this 220.03 Seven Below uh, a couple of times before, um, before I listened to it just like an hour ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, what, what grabs you about this jam and what grabbed you at your first show about this jam? So it's funny. Um, so seven below, you know, round room was the, was the album that came out right after I got it. That was the first new fish I'd ever heard. Mm -hmm. Um, and seven below initially I didn't like, 
it didn't sound like a song. It sounded like an idea. Right. Um, I kind of thought well, the there's, a, there's was... not much in the way of like intricacy or right. Like, you know, there's only there's only a few lines of lyrics and there's that one riff. Yeah, it was one of the things that like initially put me off about Round Room, but is over time has made it's it's my favorite Fish album for a number of reasons. Okay, and one yeah. of them is that a lot of the songs sound like sketches and sound like an idea that's really just a leaping off point for a jam and seven below waves 46 days to a certain extent, although that's a little bit more of a song proper. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, these are songs that like when you listen to fish in that December, 2002 period, that follow two period, they sound like they're trying to rediscover who, who they all are two and a half years or so since their last show. And Seven Below, to me, as I've evolved with this song and as I've come to love the song, and it's one of my favorite fish songs to see live, really sounds like that reconnection period where what what is fish ultimately? They're a riff, they're a groove, and they're a jumping off point for a jam. Um, and Seven right. Below is perfect about that. So that first show I saw, there were four or five round room songs played. Which again, in the moment, I didn't love because this is my first fish show. I want to hear Mike's song. The I hits. hear you enjoy <laughs> myself. I want to hear like right. the fish songs I've like, you know, grown up with or I've like gotten into the band because of not all this new material. Now, I'm going to pause because I know that certain members of your audience are probably like howling at the at their headphones right now, wondering like, did I hate this show? It's a very, you know, it's it's a truly 2.0 show. I have come to love this show and I've come to love the approach the band gave. It's a great show. It's a really great show. It's a very deep, heavy jamming yeah. show. Um, it was a it's a, it's it a very a, it's a very uh characteristic of Winter 03 show. Like it, you know, it 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 follows a lot of similar themes to shows like 226 or 228 or you know, any number of other ones. I would argue it's the most Winter 03 show because they're pushing all this new material. The band doesn't say a word the entire night. And there's so much like you go back to the first set and you get this fusion between the darkness of simple and the bright, uh, like big Jibu. funky jamming of the Jabu. Yeah. I love that Jabu. And then you it's have that, so- like the, the, I mean the tweezer and the, the seven below that we're going to talk about more in depth and that pebbles to close the second set as well. Yeah. So, you know, this song to me, it, it just is really representative of an era. And when Mm -hmm. I listen to this particular version, it sounds like if you were to play someone one track from 2003 to give them an idea of what did fish sound like, what was fish doing in 2003, this jam really kind of exemplifies that in the way that it evolves totally effortlessly from the song proper it stays somewhat tied to the seven below theme, but yeah. figures out all these little spaces to uh, uh, well, to jam through, which is which is very different from the 2018 version. Yeah, and and one thing that really grabbed me about this one, again, as I say in almost every episode, I'm a keyboard player and I love Paige. <laughs> um, and in this jam, like what he's doing on the piano for uh, the first half is just unbelievable. Like he he's is just leading like crazy yeah you know it's interesting i not to jump around too much but like we love tangents here on we move through storm (laughs) (laughs) um i went to coventry and you know i figure that's the end of fish and i was almost 20 years old i was 19 at the show and uh I kind of figured they were done. And so I made a pretty conscious effort following Coventry to take this like three or four year period of my life that I've been so dedicated to listening to fish and try to apply the knowledge I'd gained from deep diving their music to exploring other areas of indie rock, progressive rock, lower or lesser known classic rock albums that that I wasn't aware of. And I say all this because a couple of years later, when I was studying abroad, I 
became friends with a guy who was a huge fish fan, but also a musician, which I'm not a musician. And one of the things he said to me, which you just referenced was, you know, if you, if you really want to understand fish and fishes jamming, you have to listen to page. And I've yeah. always been drawn, drawn to Trey and he, well, it's, it's, it's natural, it's natural to, you know, as someone who's not a musician, especially to, focus on what Trey's doing because yeah. more often than not, he's at the forefront of the jam he's leading and the right. guitar just naturally, you know, the guitarist usually, no matter whether, you know, it's a band like J-Rad where Joe Russo is the front man, it's all, you know, the, the nature of this music is inherently that the guitar sticks out and the guitar is at the forefront, regardless of what the song is. Yeah. And it's just like kind of the natural place that a lot of our ears go because of rock music. Yeah. Um, and also side note, the, the parallel I just drew to J rad is kind of irrelevant because they play the music of the grateful dead, which is fronted <laughs> by guitarists, but no, but anyway. I, I get it. I, I, I <laughs> yeah. totally get what you mean. You get but, the point but, I was trying to make. It was just a redundant yeah. parallel, but he and I were having one of those like lengthy conversations over beers in the Netherlands that happens when you study abroad yeah. and we're talking about fish and I have, I'm at a point where like, this was three years after Coventry. I haven't really listened to fish a lot in the preceding three years. I've, I've, I've had moments where I've thrown on a couple, you know, shows I really liked, but anyway, he goes, you should listen to this version of seven below from Chicago, 2003. And I was like, Oh my God, I was, I, that was my first show. And he was like, just listen to page. And so I biked home that night and I put it on my headphones. It's, you know, one of the first times I've listened to fish in months at this point. And I just tried to listen to page throughout the whole jam. And the way he goes from the grand piano to the clav and then back to the grand piano towards the end of it, as they move into pebbles, Mm -hmm. I could hear his ideas being like three or four measures before what Trey or Mike would do or fishmen follow what page was doing. And that moment that was fall of 2007 that kind of restructured me to be listening to fish. And it's, it's an interesting like tangent because this jam was both the, one of the first jams I ever saw live in person. And also one of the reasons I got it back into fish about a year before they announced their reunion in uh, the fall of 2008. Wow. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So, wow. I'm, not talking coherently right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was really blown away by Page's piano work, especially like what he's doing on Clav is is really cool as well. But it, it's the piano um, towards the beginning. He's just so aggressive and so assertive, which yeah. you don't hear a lot from him in this era and 1.0. You know, that's more of a something you'd expect from my pick, which fall 2018 guy. I picked uh, 1231.18. Um, which is my favorite, which also is a fantastic jam for Page. Yeah. Um, but in a very different way. Yeah. Which is cool. You know, he's he's being a leader, but more as a part of the whole, um, as opposed to leading and having the other three follow him. Yeah, it's an interesting it's interesting to think about these two jams through the context of Page, because one thing that always strikes me about the especially that late 02, early 03 sound. You didn't hear this Mm -hmm. as much in 2004, less so in the summer. But um, like if you listen to the Victor disc, which which was all sessions that the band played uh, in New York City in December 2002, and then you listen to the winter of their TED tapes. Yes, it's it's my (laughs) dream that they released that on vinyl. Um, And then you listen to this Seven Below, you hear something that's like a very, very specific sound to the era, which is... Trey playing this gravelly, just like kind of dark and seedy guitar tone that Mm -hmm. really sets the tone for the way the band is sounding. And Paige, very different from today, playing the grand piano and really focusing on the grand piano. And it gives it this like dystopian type of sound that is so associated with that period of fish. Whereas the 1231.18 version you know, we're hearing a band that is a year and a half past the Baker's Dozen. And I don't know anyone that came to the Baker's Dozen ready to push the band forward and change the band more so than Page. His synthesizers completely changed the dynamic of the Baker's oh, Dozen. Absolutely. 
you know, and then they come back in 2018 and especially that fall and New Year's Eve run, his synthesizers have suddenly pushed Trey to evolve in a way that we hear some of the best Trey that we've heard in probably three or four years during the fall of uh, uh, 2018 and the yes. uh, New Year's and, Eve run and, of 2018. And before people get all up in arms about how Trey was actually playing terribly in fall 2018, his improvisational playing in fall 2018 is among the best I've heard. His playing of composed sections in fall 2018, as evidenced by my first two notes of uh, I made on 1231.18, being right on cue, Trey botches the melody and Trey botches it again. I don't think yeah, there's... I, I don't think that sentence came out coherently, but I think my point No, 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 I get I get it. It's fall 2017, 2018, and I guess you could even throw in there 2019 Trey is really interesting because you have this dichotomy of a guy who has completely rediscovered how to express himself through improvisation, yeah. which for a long time in early 3.0 he had a really hard time with. I mean, I, I will champion like 2009 like august 2009 jams forever but there's a lot of there's a lot of focus on like these very quick atmospheric sounds which the band couldn't really do anything with in, in, right in, in, in their jams are not like the highest of quality by the time you get to fall 18 his ideas are almost limitless and the and the idea in his head to the plane from an improvisational standpoint is i mean i would argue fall 2018 is the last best tour prior to 2021 um just in terms of the creativity but yes his his overall plane lacked tightness uh and, and i think part of that is he's so focused on improvisational music but he's also writing like 45 songs a year which yeah like it, well at really this time he's i think at this time uh right after this run would have been i think when they recorded ghosts of the forest because i yeah because it was in rehearsals no no no, no. they recorded ghosts of the forest uh earlier in 2018 because that was for between me and my mind but they he went right into rehearsals for ghosts of the forest after the New Year's run of 2018. I remember that it had been make, announced. That would make sense. And then like on January 1st, there were like Instagrams of him and Fishman already rehearsing. So yeah, I, I think, yeah. Because Ghost of the Forest was spring 2019. Yeah, so they, they would have recorded yeah. the album earlier that summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, talking about his playing, like obviously fall 2018 being the last, last best tour uh, before 2021 happened is for sure like, you know, tw- the improvisation in 2019 is still developing further than it was in 2017 and 18. But in 2019, they lost some of the fire that they had in 17 and 18. I think, you know, as as much as as messy as the Type One play was in much of 2018, there's still so much energy to it in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Like if you listen to um, versions of Sand, like his solos may not be as intricate or as many notes as they usually are, but there's just so much energy in it. Uh, in 2019, a lot of the type one playing just seems lifeless to me. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I didn't really say that as much at the time, but I find it hard to listen back to like a random MoMA dance from 2019. Like one that I can pull off the top of my head, I think is like uh, the one from July 9th at Mohegan. The mm-hmm. MoMA just kind of, it's just kind of there. Like it doesn't really feel like they're all playing together and it's just kind of lifeless. His tone was also, you know, kind of weird in 2019. Like there was just a lot, it it was a very transitional year. You know, I think 2019 needed to happen to get to 2021. Um, But, you know, you could kind of hear it kind of coming back a little bit, uh, you know, in that Mexico run and the new year's run before the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, but I actually think the pandemic was a really good thing for the band. Um, yeah, I, especially for Trey. Yeah. I tend to think of 2019 and, and there's really no other way to think of it because the pandemic came and we don't have another year to, you know, compare it to, but I tend to think of 2019 as, um, really the end of the 3.0 experiment. 
And Mm -hmm. it's this point where, and it's the challenge of where fish continues to be today, but I think that they did a better job of, of working through this in 2021, but there's so much energy and creativity still to this day around new songs and around communicating as songwriters. And, you know, I think that 2019, you see a band that has debuted two full albums of material into their rotation, two full albums. But you also have to remember that like big boat comes out in October of 2016 gets played. Those songs get played pretty thoroughly in the fall of 2016. Yeah. But then a lot of those songs are shelved until the third set of new year's Eve, 2016. A lot of those songs aren't played throughout that run, which you would expect that run to have like, a highlight version of um you know one or two songs i think they're saving um, it for the the uh the gag set though like they were saving that for the, right so the they saved it for that third the horns set. and everything right but then 2017 you have this really weird thing where like big boat almost gets shelved as an album many would say rightly so yeah. it was <laughs> a very good idea but like you you play these 13 shows at Madison Square Garden. You're not going to repeat any songs. So none of these big boat songs go into the rotation in 2020 or in 2017. So a lot of these songs are still like relatively untested songs going mm-hmm. into 2018, 2019. And so 2019, you have like 40 new fish songs that have been written in the previous 36 months. And they all kind of, we need to figure out where they fit. Plus you have a new song like Mercury relatively new in 2018, four or five years old at that point that is stretching its legs. And so they want to play that song every couple of shows. You have Ruby waves that wants to stretch its legs almost from the get go. And obviously the Alpine, I was at the, I was actually, I was at the debut version in Toronto and remember and remember being really good. Like it packs, it packs a punch. It's nine minutes, but it, it packs a serious punch. And I think, you know, Songs like Mercury, I think people by 2018 were already warmed up to as a song as well. And even in 2015, when it debuted, you know, they weren't sure where to put it. And it kind of had a few years of just kind of sitting in flux. But I think people are more responsive positively to a song like Mercury being debuted than like, you know, a song like, I don't know, I'm going to pick a pick a ghost of the forest song or a cast of Vax song because mercury has the jam potential um, that eventually gets shown these cast of Vax songs that have so much jam potential. And for the most part, the ghost of the forest songs outside of Ruby waves, obviously um, haven't really been explored to their fullest potential. Like, you know, we yeah. haven't had a 20 minute, we are come to outlive our brains somehow. Right. Um, there have only been like a, a handful of examples of, cast of vax songs getting jammed out um and one thing that's interesting that just occurred to me is when, when they uh debuted chilling thrilling in for halloween 2014 they started incorporating those songs into set lists almost immediately but yeah. they don't they you know they kind of fit i think where they put them and martian monster obviously is the one with the greatest longevity and you know 2021 we really saw a reduction in the number of uh chilling thrilling songs in the rotation like it was uh, it was just martian monster i think until the fall uh, yeah i think, you're I think right. i'm wrong i may be wrong i don't remember if there was a your pet cat during the summer uh well maybe there was one at deer creek now that i'm thinking but there was it, also but... there was also um you know santos was being played way more frequently than any of the other cats with back songs um so yeah i, I, I mean, think I... they've really they've really looked at um, the placement, you know, I kind of skipped ahead here, but they, they've looked at the placement over time. And yeah, 2019 was just one of those years where they th- decided to go all out with these songs and just throw them at the wall. And they also happened to be songs that Trey really wanted to play all the time. So yeah. they ended up getting Trey DHD ripcorded out of jams. Yeah, I, I think as well, like, you know, if you go back to the chilling, thrilling stuff, like at that point, um, Wingsuit comes along, and but prior to Wingsuit, they weren't really debuting songs post Joy. 
You know, you get yeah. steam in 20, 2011. Halfway to the moon. Other, halfway to the moon. But like these are songs. A couple of, oh, like, yeah, a couple of Mike songs that are like one. A couple of Mike songs. Dr. These Gable. are songs that like full. Yeah. Dr. Gable. that like fully <laughs> impact the rotation. A lot of them just don't right. stick or a lot of them are like fairly rare. Um, Wingsuit really kind of showcases a shift for the band where they're going to try to write actual songs and they're going to try to write songs that can stand on their own that don't necessarily need to jam. Um, Chilling Thrilling 2014, huge, huge hit within the fan base. And so obviously those songs are littered across 2015. But following that, from 2015 onwards, I mean, we're looking at upwards of 90 fish songs that have been written uh, between 2015 and now that have to be incorporated in the rotation. And to your point, a lot of the Ghost of the Forest songs and, and even Caswell Vox to, this, to a certain extent seem to have jammy potential, but it also seems like the band really wants to focus on how do we play these songs as best as we can. Right. And, and the only other thing I would add is 2019 is the first time I really felt like Fish was getting old. And it sounds to me like the most vulnerable year I've ever heard of them. And maybe this I would is say, just all the Ghost of the Forest songs, but you know, that's that really that that is an overhang of the year to me, to to my ears, in both a good and and bad way. Right. To me, I remember thinking uh fall twenty fourteen, listening to some of those shows. Again, I was fourteen at the time, but I remember thinking for the first time, like, gee, like Trey sounds like he's like, you know, like a mess. Like, yeah. you know, I just remember him flubbing a ton uh, during that tour. But, you know, I think Fairly Well kind of rescued him there uh, before it, you know, became I also super, tend super to think pregnant. of that tour as like, there's no Halloween album that they could stumble into jams easier than Chilling Thrilling. And you right. hear it like there's a great version of Harry Hood from San Francisco on that tour where they basically play a dog's jam. And mm-hmm. I think that that one thing that tends to like challenge them in that tour is that it's very clear they don't want to take their jams towards a chilling, thrilling jam. And so there's a lot of hesitancy to jam. And on top of that, like to your point, there's a lot of sloppy playing. 2014 and 2019, in a lot of cases, remind me of each other in yeah. the sense that like summer 2014 – they're pushing Fuego harder than they've pushed any album since maybe oh Billy Breathes. <laughs> um, and then 2019, I don't know if they're necessarily pushing Ghost of the Forest, but that's just where Trey is feeling. Like he wants to play those Ghost of the Forest songs because that's that's where his mind and his heart is at that moment. Right. And I, I think 2019 got a lot more maligned at the time than 2014, though, again, grain of salt from my opinion, because in 2014, I wasn't that actively involved in the fish online community in 2019 i was um so but but to me i think you know 2013 was a great year of fish like fall 2013 was like the first amazing tour of 3.0 um but you know summer 2014 when they started going like the line in the middle of the second set it was just more like, a, okay, like it was a, it was a fluke, like fall 2013 happened. Like, you know, <laughs> we're getting a couple of 25 minute Fuegos in here that are really cool. Yeah. And you get like a bright spot, like the Randall's uh, night three second set. But for the most part, it's like, okay, they're it's 3.0 fish. This is it. Right. But in 2019, you've just had, you know, the 20 month stretch of the Baker's dozen, uh, you know, the New Year's run 2017, which is incredible. Summer 2018, which, you know, very controversial, but I think summer 2018 is an incredible tour. There's so much, like, there's so many incredible jams. Again, Trey's tone isn't the best and lots of slop, but so, like, there's so much good jamming on that tour. Fall 2018 again and Mexico 2019. That is an incredible three night run as well. That's, basically part of fall 2018 and so that that 20 month stretch just being so good and like so packed with crazy shows and moments and then you get a year like 2019 that's like you know the highs are high like you know the msg tweezer and the alpine ruby waves but the lows are very low (laughs) like charleston night three (laughs) right right and you know it's it's interesting like all of this kind of around 
this December 31st, 2018 show, which I've gone back and listened to, I think is one of the stronger recent New Year's shows. I, I, yeah. I feel like <clears throat> since around 2014, 2015, I, I really like the second <coughs> set from, from the 2014 show. Um, but that's a great set. Yeah, it's a really good set. Um, but in recent years, I found that the New Year's shows have really been about the gag and less about the music. And it seems as though musically, they're really putting all of their effort into the 28th, 29th, and 30th, especially. Um, and then the 31st is kind of just like, here's some fun fish songs. And we're going to do a really big gag that cost a lot of money and required a lot of production. So that's where Headspace is. But in 2018, that second set is one of the stronger New Year's Eve second sets. And it, for whatever reason, just gets overlooked, doesn't get talked about, probably because the previous two shows were so incredible. So in good. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, to <clears throat> me, you've got Disease, Farmhouse, Seven Below, uh, Twist, and then I believe then you get the Hood, hood passing, passing through, through hood. hood. Yeah. It's a really fluid second set. It showcases the, the um, hood passing through hood wasn't really done properly, and yeah, they bailed out. Yeah. They bailed out of a hood jam that was getting really good. But yeah, they've they've that, done like hood sandwiches, and I, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> it's not my yeah, it's not my particular favorite thing. But it, I, I felt as though it worked in the sense that like passing through the way that I ended the Casvote Vox set felt like a real like emotional. Uh, conclusion to the set whereas harry yeah. hood always seems like a very emotional conclusion to whatever show it's played in but that second set you hear you know this classic jam vehicle and disease and then this two really good disease vehicle. too it's a very good disease and then this 2.0 jam vehicle that is played way rarer than it should in seven below both of these versions really showcase the creativity the band is playing with towards the tail end of 2018 and and yeah. that run you you kind of listed it but like from i i mean i think you could go all of 2018 through mexico 2019 as just like an incredible hot streak i think if you wanted to focus it a little from, bit more uh, from july 2017 through mexico 2019 i think sure sure and and to be fair i mean i would even back that up to um, the the tour finale from summer 2016 where they play Chula Vista and they play this rockin' show that has nothing in common with the previous 20 yeah. dates on the tour. Yeah. And from there you've got this great um uh lock great appearance. festival run at Lockin, yeah. an incredible Dicks. Dicks run, very strong fall tour, uh New Year's run I that's got some Big highlights, an incredible Mexico run that's super overlooked. Baker's dozen all the way up through through that Mexico run. Yeah, twenty eight. Absolutely, I I think I'm I'm a little bit hesitant to include the latter half of 2016 in just because fall 2016, you know they're still kind of finding their legs again in terms of being like consistently amazing. Because even if you look at a lot of year like 2015, it's still pretty uneven in terms of awesome shows. You know, like they'll play like a, a really amazing two night run or a run of a couple of shows, or you'll still get a stretch like, uh, you know, at that late July leg before Atlanta, I think through the mm, yeah. South, um, there's like some weird shows in there. Lots of uneven calls, you know, they're still putting, uh, Fuego songs in the second set a little bit, I think, um, but then, you know, but then it picks up in the latter half and is yep. incredible. So, it, you know, there's still a lot of uneven stuff, um, which is true to a lesser extent uh, for a year for a tour like summer 2018. You know, e even in a show that's like not very good by the tour standards, um, like the opener, like uh, July 17th in Tahoe, if you look at that show, there's like a extended MoMA, which is really cool. Um, there's like a 17 minute no men, which while it's not anything crazy, it's still a pretty good jam and a really, really, really nice hood that Trey only mm -hmm. botches the landing on a little bit. Yeah, I think, 
Summer 2018 is always interesting to me because it feels in many ways to me, I'm going to try to explain this as best I can. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's way better and there's way more accomplishments in musically set listing, all that sort of stuff than um, 2014 or 2016. So I want to mm-hmm. be clear there, but 2013 and 2015 fish are clear peak moments. And, and for me, the run from uh, Atlanta through Magna ball is some of the, in, oh. in 2015 is some of the strongest fish that I've ever heard. And my favorite fish I've ever been a part of sands fall 2021. The Baker's dozen had a similar effect. It, it, it was all encompassing. And I remember going into summer 2018, kind of accepting that it was going to take them a bit of time to shed that and, and to get past that. And part of the yeah. eternal beauty and challenge with fish is the constant evolution. They're never going to peak something and try to stay there. They're going to peak something and try to move on to whatever's next. And to me, 2018 is a lot better going back to listen to it than it was in the moment. In the moment, it felt slightly frustrating only because we had seen a peak moment in Fish's overall career a year right. prior that when they got to 2018, it was suddenly like, well, what do we do next? Well, they've got the jamming. So the jamming is going to come along like that gourd show. Night three is one of my favorite shows from that year from, from 3.0 fish. But you also have, you know, these pretty uneven shows. Like I saw the two forum shows followed by Austin and those shows have like a show's worth of highlights, but they're kind of scattered throughout and you get these, you know, weird set listing choices mixed with jamming. Funny enough, I think Austin's second set is the most 2015 thing that they did in 2018 because it starts off with the big punch of everything's right disease and then kind of has like songs for the rest of it. Yeah, which, yeah, is a very, yeah, yeah. which is a very 2015 thing to do. And bringing this whole thing full circle, I saw my first seven below since Coventry at that show. Ah, which, there it is. Which was, I was just like, I was in the crowd. I had pit tickets. I was about 10 feet from the band and I just like, arms up in total celebration. It wasn't the greatest seven below, but it was great to see it in the moment. My parents were there. Um, (laughs) That, yeah, they did the forum in Austin. uh, Nice. Um, Well, yeah, it always comes back to the topic. Eventually. See, we're 40 minutes. in. We spent like like five minutes talking about the jams. Um, I do want to, you know, I want to mention one thing about my pick, uh, which is that last uh, or that, that crazy space funk, segment uh that starts around 13 minutes yeah um with like you know page going off on the clav like trey doing crazy delay nonsense mike on that like deep synth bass line like it's awesome that's a really cool jam idea that 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 they use a few times during the mexico run uh, in 2019 it shows up in the, the the seven below actually that we're talking about here follows kind of a similar pattern to the February 21st, 2019, I always wanted it this way. Oh, where it gets call, kind yeah. of that peak in and then transitions to this crazy space funk jam. Uh, this space funk thing also shows up in the February 22nd, second show.
this is a really good point and it's something I want to illuminate as well and it's something about summer 2018 that I did love and it's mm-hmm. something that I think that they would not have gotten without the Baker's Dozen um, you know the Baker's Dozen was this moment where any song is on the table and any song can be jammed and this yeah. is the first time that that's happened really since 2.0 like it seems commonplace now, but if you go back to 2017 fish, there was a oh. lot of tension in the audience about, are they going to ripcord this jam or are they going to let it go? And the Baker's dozen was really the first time where you could be 15 minutes into a jam and pretty confidently see yourself having another 10 minutes of the jam. And that, that to me, that's, that's a really special thing, but the one flaw of those jams, now we could nitpick these to death, but the one flaw I always hear of those Baker's dozen jams is they take a long time getting to the peak, but they all end up peaking and that's it. And something mm-hmm. they really introduced and pushed in summer 2018. Um, perfect example of this is the uh, August 3rd, 2018 Carini, oh. where they would play a jam, they would peak it, and then the final six or seven minutes would be this post-peak jamming where they yes. take whatever the idea was of the peak and distort it and play against it and play within it. And it almost kind of was a hearkening back to um, the uh, Hayhole jamming from summer 93, where like a riff could be a riff, but then Trey would play a riff and then Mike would play it in, in a little bit more of like a demented way. And then Paige would screw around with it and then Trey would yeah. copy them, but he would twist it around and that, yeah, the August the August fourth, twenty eighteen Soul Planet is also a great example of that. A perfect example of it. One of my favorite versions of Soul Planet and the Seven Below from New Year's Eve really showcases what the band could do at this point because you have this immediate post jam that sounds like the wheel. You know, it's immediate jam post song huh. sounds like the wheel, <laughs> and then that peaks, and then that kind of crests and goes into this post peak jamming where this like space funk that you're talking about, which you would hear again, absolutely in Mexico. And you wouldn't hear as much in summer 2019, but you would really hear it towards the tail end of 2018. Um, it's, it's just a fascinating part of this seven below that when I was re-listening to it, it's, it's a version that almost no one talks about, but it's a version that like really informs what they were going after stylistically at the time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One, one thing I do want to talk about too is uh, Paige's Rhodes work in this jam. Mm, mm. Um, and I would like to take this opportunity to plug that I have t-shirts that uh, support Paige playing the Rhodes uh, <laughs> link in the description of this episode for the, we move through stormy weather merch store. It's pretty cool. Um, um, now I forgot what I was going to say after that. Um, (laughs) another good version of seven below. That's really awesome. Uh, and it did not only the, uh, numbers show from Vegas, uh, this past fall, but also the Baker's dozen version, uh, from the first night, it's the first real awesome type two jam of the run. Totally. Um, and it just hits this like amazingly euphoric peak, great use of pages new at the time, Moog Voyager. Um, and I did, do, sorry, do you want to say something about that? I just remembered what I was going to say before. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I agree. That's a great, great version. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love that jam. There we go. Okay. So one thing that 2018 has that was also kind of part of why the transition to 2019 was so weird is 2018 has this jagged sound, you know, a lot in part due to Trey's uh, new tone that year, very high gain, very, very dirty, like, you know, lots of, it's jagged is the best word to describe it. Um, And so, you know, it's all over this jam. Like even in his solos, it's just like a screaming lead guitar. And then in 2019, oh, sorry, Paige's synth also, it's it's a very aggressive sound a lot of the time, also has kind of a jagged edge to it sometimes. And this is when Paige was using the Moog Voyager synthesizer, which he had from 2017 through Mexico 2019. And then for summer 2019, he got the Moog One, which is what he has Mm. now. And that one has a much softer uh, Mm. sound. So Trey's tone also got a lot softer in 2019. And so, you know, you're kind of going from this very in-your-face, you know, high-gain, screaming leads all the time to them 
going a lot more into more relaxed and more dark and spacey jams, which they do for much of 2019. Um, you know, there's a lot less big peak jams, which you talked about being all over the place in 2017 and still all over the place in 2018. And they kind of, what they did in 2019 is you mentioned how in 2018, you know, you'd have that peak jam, but then it would keep going into darkness after they just kind of yeah. took out the peak jam of that. And so they were just yeah. going into the darkness all the time, which, you know, as much as people rag on them for doing big peak jams all the time, by the time, you know, that Thanksgiving week tour rolled around, I was like dying without like a big peaky jam coming around. Like, you know, the, the Charleston night three, I think it was like, I always wanted it this way, like briefly goes type two and has like, the, it's like 10 minutes, but it has like this peak. And I remember being like, yes, finally, like I've been waiting for this jam. Well, it's something that it's a really good point. And it's something that I think about a lot with this gap of 2020 between, mm-hmm. you know, Mexico 2020 and Arkansas 2021. Um, and, and obviously all the music that's come since in 2021, you know, I think one of the things I love the most about 2019 that vulnerability I was speaking about a little bit ago, you hear it in their jamming. Like you're talking about, there's not a lot of peaking. There's not a lot of like a desire to play a rock show. Um, I think about the birds of a feather from blossom. I think about the um, down with disease and sense and subtle sounds. No down with disease and Piper from banger. It's down with disease. Oh um, yes. Or is it simple? It's simple. It's not Piper. Excuse me. Yeah. It's, it's it simple. opens the second set with Down Disease play by play and simple. Um, I think about. I need to go the, listen to some 2019. I've been. That's a really good segment. I think it's the second. I think it's the second night of Banger. Um, I no, think about that's, the, that's second, the first night. The second night of Banger is the Fuego City's final hurrah, which is also. Thank fantastic. you. Thank you. That's an awesome uh, segment as well. Um, I think about the Mohegan show uh, in in full, which which feels like such a singular piece of music from from note one to the conclusion, and it really feels like they're just like smearing this sound of like uh, experimental vulnerability and, and aging in music and death in music. Yeah, that that sea and of stars, <laughs> the sea of stars, exactly. Um, I think about the ghost from night two at dicks you know these jams that did not need a peak that just needed sounds and ideas and further exploration just for the sake of and that's something i really loved about that era and and you hear almost now in 2021 all these lessons of the past six or seven years Mm -hmm. you know 2015 being this this return of Trey really being the, the capable leader and, and really pushing jams forward with a ton I, of I think 2015, you know, because of that, 2015 is so full of just bliss peak jams because Trey's right. just enjoying, like, I can play again. Like, you I know, can do he's, this. He's doing um, 2017, what we've talked about with the Baker's Dozen, this like return of extended 25. Anything can happen. Jamming. Yeah. Anything can happen. 2018, you take that idea and you figure out where's the darkness on the other side. 2019 you hear this band kind of flattening everything out and and figuring out like let's just experiment this segment regardless if this leads to like a narrative peak and then you get this break which is a really important break because when they come back they take all these lessons and they approach 2021 with this renewed vigor because suddenly they've realized once again for the first time in over a decade we could lose this at a moment's notice like this could Mm -hmm. be gone and we could never play another concert again so let's play every single show like it's our last plus you have six years of really creative and thoughtful jamming that informs where the band is and they come into 2021 taking that experience and taking those jams that are kind of swirling around their head whether they're conscious of it or not and applying it to intentionality and as a result, you get this just like, I mean, my favorite fish year since 2003 was was 2021. So like you get this just totally inspired year of fish. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, 2021, even, you know, I saw three shows. They were the only the only shows I saw this year. Um, obviously, I was supposed to be at MSG uh, this past weekend. <laughs> but unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, 
but yeah, they were some of the best concerts I've ever seen. And just like the pure joy at seeing fish again after not seeing live music since January, 2020 and, you know, seeing them perform at such a high level, which I haven't been lucky enough to do, you know, for the most part, outside of the two shows I saw uh, on fall 2018, I've had like just some bad luck seeing fish shows. Like the one show I saw fall 2013, Rochester, uh, <laughs> you know, like the, so um, at least you got a good cross-eyed. It was pretty good. There is, my dad talks about this all the time. There's a point like partway, most midway through that jam where Trey turns around to fiddle with something on his amp but the rest of the band thinks that he's ending the jam. So there's this kind of like misstep and Trey yeah. kind of like pulls it back and is like, no, we're still going. And so it, that was just a weird and disjointed show, but it was my second show and I was 13 and I loved it. So can, um, I, can I ask you something? Yeah, absolutely. So I first got into fish with, with 2.0. You first yeah. got into fish, I'm guessing, with 3.0. Although I'm guessing you have been listening to this music your whole life. Um, what does 2.0 sound like to you, based on when you got into fish and where and where you're at as a fish fan? Yeah, so I got into fish via Super Bowl. Uh, my dad okay. went and then gave me the three shows on my iPod, which I started listening to when I was in like grade five. The Reba was what hooked me. Ah, um, yeah, it's a great Reba. I fell in love with that. Um, and I didn't consciously listen to a note of 1.0 until 2017. Like, I, you know, I didn't look on, like, I didn't look on the internet for, like, audience tapes. I just had what was on my iPod, which was Super Bowl. And then, you know, I webcasted the New Year's Eve show. So I got that. And then I was, you know, my library expanded to like maybe 10 shows. And then in high school, you know, I started high school in 2014. Um, and by this time, I was kind of like webcasting a few shows here and there. Like, you know, not really very many because I go to camp every summer. So I miss the whole summer tour. But I do the New Year's show. Um, and I was pretty much exclusively listening to you know, just those few years of 3.0. And the only time I've actually ever gotten bored of fish was in early 2018 when I was exclusively listening to like 2015, 2015 16, and 17 fish. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> um, and then 2018 happened and I got more into 1.0. But I, I remember I listened to the Island Tour in 2017 because one of my only friends who's close to my age who loves fish was like, you have to listen to the Island Tour. You never heard it. You have to listen to it. So I listened to it and I was like, this is awesome. I need to hear more. And so I, you know, got more into 1.0. And then I don't remember when I listened to 2.0 for the first time, but I know it was the 22803 tweezer. Okay. Um, and I just remember it was, it's a very different sound, obviously. Um, it's a lot darker. Um, it's a lot grittier, which at the time I liked because it was late 2018, I believe. So I was, you know, obviously developing my uh, obsession with fall 2018 as it was happening. Um, yeah, I, I just remember also feeling like it was a bit disjointed. Like, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, like, the OxyJams uh, of later 2003 and 2004. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the SPAC Piper has about eight minutes of really interesting jamming in it, and the rest is kind of like, them searching for an idea which mm -hmm. you know i think happens a lot in the seven below as well it's also 20 minutes long and doesn't really go type two at all you know the the uh 12 jam starts going type two at like six and a half minutes in right so i i think i like the efficiency of fish now better like i i can appreciate them taking the 20 minutes to get to that point like you know them taking 17 minutes to get to that point in the spac piper where it just explodes into that tweezer reprise jam and it's incredible um but to me i'll always prefer you know sitting down and like diving into a jam and like it's interesting the whole time and grabs me the whole time and you know that's my main gripe with fall 97 as well 
all a lot of the jams to me are like funk groove trey starts soloing and not listening to the rest of the band gets kind of soupy and dissonant and then goes back to the funk groove and there's a peak in there somewhere you know and then i love summer 97 because it's like a cleaner version of that you know you don't Mm. have that trey goes hendrix mode um Mm. He's listening to the band a lot more. I think Summer 97 ends up being a lot more cohesive. Like the Lakewood Ghost is one of my top five fish jams of all time. Interesting. Um, the Boise Bag is also in my top five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I found like a real affinity for uh, later 1999 uh, in the last few months, really. Um, I've really been enjoying that music. So I, you know, my perspective constantly changes as I, as I absorb more and more of their repertoire. Like, you know, I don't feel the same way about, you know, a few years ago, I was like, all of 1.0 is boring and too long. I don't like it. Now, obviously, I can appreciate that. And I think, you know, also kind of branching out into a a smaller number of other bands has helped. Um, You know, like I started listening to a lot more Grateful Dead over the pandemic. Uh, sure. obviously getting into goose as well um you know just makes me appreciate what fish does more and you know i can be a little bit you know i can be critical in a different way I yeah think. yeah no it's interesting to hear your perspective because like i did not know that you went that long without listening to um 1.0 fish but 2.0 is is it's it's its own thing and and it's um you know for me when i got into fish uh, all i had was 1.0 fish and and all i had was well this was the band and when they came back there was a very clear shift in the sound and it was almost clear from the from the moment that they played the first show that they still hadn't figured out the issues that plagued them towards the tail end of 1.0 and it was going to be um, a, a bit of a rocky uh, period and nobody knew how long it was going to last. Obviously when, when Trey sent out the announcement note in May of 2004, everyone was shocked because, you know, there had been good enough moments uh, throughout late summer, 2003 uh, in Miami that people figured, well, you know, they just have to get a little bit healthy and they'll keep playing again. Plus they announced a festival. Um, so, you know, it's definitely its own vibe. I think, you know, for me, the thing that interests me the most about 2.0, at least at this point is that is usually the end chapter for most bands. Uh, if you look across like the classic rock lineage and the return in 09 is usually when like, they don't try as hard and they They rely on, they play the hits. They give you the show that like, reinvents the idea of of what your perspective of the band is they play Um, the stadiums with john mayer like right right (laughs) but here like you know and i would argue even since the start of 09 they were consciously trying to rebuild um it didn't become much you know it didn't become totally apparent until mid 2012 but when you go back to that February 03 run, you hear this band that is able to play a jam at will without much effort. And that seven below to me is this opportunity for them to take a new song and incorporate it with the style of jamming that allows them to really go anywhere. Whereas to your point, the 2018 version, you hear a band that has worked really, really hard over the preceding decade to put themselves in a position where they are able to um, turn on and turn off jamming as they want to. And yeah. to your point, when they decide they want to jam, they've immediately got a riff. They've immediately got an idea. They've immediately got direction that they want to go in. And they also now know once we get to that peak, we can do something on the other side of it. So Keep it's, going, it's, yeah. it's two very different eras and very different approaches to fish. And the fact that it's all wrapped in this song that I said at the beginning, I originally did not like is now one of my favorite fish songs. And one of my favorite songs to see live uh, is all the better. Yeah. Well, that seems like a great place to wrap up the episode. Uh, thank you so much, Brian, for being on today. It's been a pleasure talking seven below and all these other incredible topics uh, with you. Uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed listening. Uh, don't forget, go sign up for the mailing list for ryanstorm.substack.com. 
again, lots of jam breakdowns. Oops, sorry. Jam breakdowns, show reviews, and more uh, on the site. Um, yeah, we moved through stormy weather. Is back for 2022. Thanks, man. This was a ton of fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, thank you for being on. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather. Hope you have a fantastic day. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.